This is my favorite magic trick with my mom's favorite glasses. This is my favorite cake. These are my favorite tonsils. This is my favorite fish fluffy. This is my favorite spider, Tickles the Tarantula. Wake up, Fluffy. Where's my spider? <laughs> you can have some when I'm done. This is my grandpa's favorite keychain. Blink if you can hear me. Please wake up! Today I found my favorite new corn. This is my favorite ant farm. This is my favorite puppet, Coley. This is my favorite hat, sombrero. What? Casamia. This is my favorite wrestling move, sleeperhead. Sleeperhead. I want chocolate. <laughs> Body slam! Look at these guns. This is my favorite toy. My baby brother. I ate it all. Welcome again to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. I want to say welcome to you uh, in all our worship venues this weekend, especially if you're a first-time guest with us. Uh, we're delighted to have you. would love to, to meet you uh, and, and share more with you about the life of, of this church. This is the third week uh, of this series called Favorites. We're obviously playing off the idea that one of the things that we love to do from a young age is to talk about what our favorite things are. And so we're bringing that idea to the scriptures, and I'm sharing with you some of my favorite scriptures in this series. And I want you to know that this is born out of the fact that as I've worked as a pastor, I've often been asked the question, what is your favorite scripture? And usually I'll say something like, well, there's a lot of good stuff in here. You know, I mean, it's kind of hard to pick a favorite, and I will share some sort of sarcastic response like that. But, I, but I've also said, if you really pushed me and, and you just wanted a handful, I could probably limit it down to a handful. And, and when I say favorites, here's what I mean by that. These are scriptures that in my own life, my own journey of faith, of not only becoming a follower of Jesus, responding to a call of ministry, all the things that I've done in my life, these are the things that have been the most transformational and meaningful for me. And so in the first week, if you weren't here, I, I share with you John 10.10, 10, when Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I said that in my early years, that, that was a life-changing idea for me. It took me decades to understand that Jesus came not to take from my life, but to give me life. That, was a, that, that changed my life. That simple idea that came from John 10.10. 10. I wouldn't be a Christian today if I hadn't come to that understanding. That, that changed my whole way of thinking. And then last week we looked at 1 John 4 where it talks about the nature of God, God's character, that God is love, that love comes from God and love looks like Jesus. Again, something that for me, it changed my whole way of thinking of who God was and what my life was like in relationship 
uh, to, this, to this God. Transformational stuff for me changed my life. I wouldn't be where I am today without those scriptures that really have shaped me in a very dramatic way and have shaped the way that I think about what it means to be a pastor and what it means to be a part of a family of faith. And so to, to continue that journey, to share with you the scripture for today, I, I need to tell you a little bit more about my story and, and how this scripture I want to share with you today kind of grows out of that experience. So when I was in college, I worked in a campus ministry uh, called the Wesley Foundation, the United Methodist Campus Ministry at the college that I attended. Uh, it was my first job in ministry, and it was for me a confirmation that I was called to ministry. So I experienced that early on in, in high school that I felt like God was calling me into this, that this might be what, what I was supposed to do with my life. But after doing that work for, for three years in college, I thought, this is, this is really what I want to do. This is what I feel like God wants me to do. And so transitioning from my undergraduate degree to my master's degree, one of the questions was, well, well where are you going to work? What, what job are you going to get? Because I'd asked this girl to marry me, and I think her dad sort of had an expectation that you know, we would you know, put some sort of food on the table for, for each of us. So I needed to find a job, and I knew that as a young guy wanting to, to, to get my master's degree, wanted to work in ministry, there were really two two options for me. The first option was that I could go and be the pastor of a really, really small church. And, and just in case you don't know, this is what really small church means for, for United Methodist churches. It's like 12 people. You know, it's more like leading a family group or 12 people or 20 people. Or if it was a huge small church, it'd be like 60 people. And lots of young pastors start out that way. Pastor Mike, our senior pastor, that's how he started his, his ministry. My, my dad, who is still a pastor today, that's what he did. My, many of my early years were spent in those small communities serving small churches. And I thought, well, that's something that I could do. And there was some nostalgia there of, well, that's what my dad did, and I've seen others do that. And, and there were parts of it that I thought were appealing, but there were other things that I just thought, maybe this isn't such a good idea for me. I wasn't excited about living in a really, really small town. I wasn't excited about being probably far away from the Metroplex where I was going to be going to school and having to do all that driving. I just asked this girl to marry me, and I didn't know how she was going to feel about living in a, in a small town in a house that was built during the Civil War. You know, I mean, I just did. There was a few things that were a little concerning to me, and so then there was option two. Well, option two was this. You go on staff at a larger church, and you work in a specialized ministry area, and most of my friends who had done this we're working in youth ministry. I thought, well, there's some advantages here. We'd be in a bigger community. We'd be closer to the Metroplex. It'd be easier for my wife to find a teaching job. I think this is what I want to do. There was only one problem with that. I really, really wasn't set on the idea of working in youth ministry. I just didn't, I didn't know if that was going to be for me. And I had some very logical reasons for that. The first reason was this. I didn't like being a teenager. So the idea of spending time with them, you know, it's just like, I don't know. If I like that, I mean, when, when I finished high school and people would say to me, I mean, you may have heard this too when you finished high school, these are the best years of your life. I thought, I sure hope not. I mean, that's not, that wasn't my experience as, as being a teenager. Maybe it was for you, but it wasn't for me. I didn't really like being a teenager. So the idea of going back to that, that, that time in my life was not something I was really uh, interested in. The second reason, which is really kind of tied to the first reason, was I wasn't cool when I was in high school. And I just had no confidence that I had become cool a couple of years later, right? I mean, it's, it's just like, okay, this is not going to work. I don't know. And I just had the sense that 
being cool was part of that gig. Like that's what you have to do if, if you're going to be a, a, an effective youth pastor. You got to be cool. The kids have to like you. You got to have some sort of connection with them. And I just thought that's not going to work for me. I don't know if that's, I, I, I don't know about this, but but, but as I, you know, again, moved in that transition and then found a job in a church and they wanted me to work in youth ministry, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to build up some confidence for this. And so then I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, now I, it's not just me anymore. Like, now it's me and Stephanie and, and, and she's beautiful and that's got to be impressive to someone, you know I mean? Maybe these kids will be excited. It's a young guy, recent college graduate. I'd gotten a good degree. I'd been to a good school. And I'm thinking, I kind of built up my confidence that, you know, maybe maybe my cool factor will have been raised a little bit in, in the years since I, since I finished high school. So I started this new job. I graduated on a Friday, started the job on Sunday. So I'm there Sunday, and I'm doing the youth pastor thing. So I'm thinking, hey, let's go to lunch after church. Let's get a couple of kids together, and, and let's go to lunch, and we'll spend some time together. And so we did. And it was on, it was on day one that, that I learned this truth. I learned that I will never be cool. Day one. <laughs> Day one, three days after graduate, and this is how I figured it out. We were there at Taco Bell, okay, which I thought was cool. You know, we're going to Taco Bell, so Stephanie and I were, were there with about 15 kids there at Taco Bell, and um, and and one of the one of the girls, a junior high girl, asks me this question: How old are you? Now, if a teenager ever asks you that question, that's a bad sign, just, just so you know. How old are you? But I was, you know, a little bit naive, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm a 22-year-old recent college graduate, just graduated on Friday. I'm a cool guy. And so I asked her the question, how old do you think that I am? This is the only, don't ever ask a teenager that, but that's, that's what I asked. And this is the only time you're ever going to hear my, my uh, junior high girl voice. But this is what she said. She said, I don't know, like 35 now, when you're 22, you have to understand this. When you're 22, 35 is half dead. I mean, you just, you're thinking, 35? Are you kidding me? I'm 22 years old. How could you say that? But it was just crystal clear on that day. I am never, ever going to be cool. The only thing I ever did in youth ministry that was remotely cool, like in the vicinity of cool, was I hired this young guy who had hair about down to his shoulders, had tattoos all over, even had a lip ring when I hired him. His name was Johnny Brower, um, <laughs> who, is, uh, who is still our, our, our youth pastor here at this church. I actually hired him at the other church. And, and when Johnny walked in, they were just like, that dude is cool. And, and, and ever since, anything Johnny does, I don't understand this, he has always had that cool factor. Johnny is going to turn 32 years old. He's almost half dead. And the kids still think he's cool. I'm, I'm just a little bit bitter about that. But I never had that. Never, ever had that. And so those first six months in youth ministry, there was a lot of times where I went home and I just thought, I, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if these kids are going to open up to me. I don't know if... I, it, was, it was really hard those first six months, but, but quit is just not a part of me. I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't put in me as a, as a child. It was you work hard, you stay committed, you do not quit. And so I just went with that. I just thought, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do whatever I can. Maybe I'm going to fail, but I'm not. I'm not going to quit. And I just hung around. That's what I did in those first six months. I just hung around. And, and I started speaking into my kids' lives to, to some of these questions that we've already talked about. We talked about what's the point of faith and who is God. And, and I did the best that I could to, to speak in their lives and just, just hung around. 
I did everything that I knew of just to open up my life to them and, and to, to let them know that there was an adult that they could trust, an adult who loved them, that was, that was dreaming big dreams for life, hoping for them. That, that's just, that's what I went with. And I just thought, Lord, do something with that. <laughs> Lord, make something happen with that. I want to open up my, my life to, to these kids. And over time, they, they opened up to me. I wasn't cool. I mean, that wasn't on the table, but, but they opened their, their lives to me a little bit. And I heard some of the questions again that we've already talked about. What's, this, what's the point of this faith thing? Who is God? What does that have to do with my life? But, but as I began to work with those kids, I started to hear another question. And it was a question that I remember being the primary question of my teenage years, but I'd kind of forgotten how important it was to me during those, those really critical years. And that was this question, am I valuable? Am I valuable? Is there anything significant about my life? Is there anything meaningful about my life? I heard him say it, and I saw him living that question. You know what I mean? You just see it in their interaction with one another, in the way that they talk to you, and in the questions that they ask, that that was really the thing that was at the, at the forefront of their thinking, the question they were asking themselves over and over again in a variety of ways. Am I valuable? Is there anything about my life that is significant? Is there anything here that has meaning and, and, and value? Over and over again, they, they, were, asking, they were asking that question in, in so many different ways. Now, let me just pause and ask you, do you remember what that's like? Do, do you remember? Maybe that was the primary question for you during those critical years of your life. Do you remember that experience of, of, of life changing, of, of growing up and realizing that, hey, adulthood is coming and I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life and I don't know where I fit and I don't know what I'm, I'm good at and, and these people like me and these people, I mean, all that junk that's just stirred up during that season of life. Do you remember what that's like? Do you remember what it's like to have that question at the forefront of your, of your mind? Is, is there anything valuable? Am I going to make any difference in the world? Is, do people care about me? So what did the scriptures say to that? That was my question. How, how, how does our faith speak to that? And of course, the truth is that the scriptures say lots of things to that question. But there was one that in that season of my life became a favorite. It was one that I loved to share with my kids because of the answer that it provided for them. And I want to show you now a video that I used to share with them. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought when far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You both proceed and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to know. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the Father's ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. And knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. 
You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Psalm 139. So in that season of my life, this became a battle cry for me. I mean, this became the recurring theme that we came back to again and again and again. Psalm 139, which I understood to be God's resounding yes to the question, does my life have any value? Do I have any significance? I shared it over and over and over again because I knew that question was coming up for them every single day day. God's resounding yes. Yes, you have value. I have created you. I have shaped you. I have made you. You are mine. Wherever you go, I am there. You can never escape from my spirit. You belong to me. You have tremendous value to your heavenly father. Over and over and over again, we shared these words. Psalm 139 became the theme. It became the battle cry because I knew how, how large that question was. Am I valuable? I wanted kids on a regular basis to hear from me, yes, 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 you are loved by God. Yes, you are loved by God. I wanted them to hear it because I knew it was a question that they were asking, but there was another reason for that, just the sense that I had, even at, at that early stage in my own life, there was this sense that while this question is important, I mean, it's, it's important for us to understand what the scriptures say in, in response to that, while that question is important and God understands why we ask that question, God understands that there's seasons of our life where, where that question becomes a more primary question. There, there are things that we walk through that raise that question for us, the loss of a job, the end of a marriage, whatever it might be, there are things that we go through that, that stir up that question within us. And while God understands that, what I, what I knew, I just had this sense of it that early age is that life is about more than hearing God say yes to that question. Life is about more than that. Life is actually beyond that question. If we go back to John 10, you know where we started in the first week, Jesus said, I have come to have the full life. Well, if that's true, if that's true, and as a pastor, my, my, my dream for these students, my dream for you would be that you would find the full life. Well, here's the deal. The full life happens on the other side of that question. It happens after you hear yes. It happens after you, you claim that sense of affirmation, that, that, that belonging that God has of you. After that, when you find how you are meant to live in the world in, in a way where you are a child of God, that's where the significance of life is. That's where the meaning of life is. That's where, that's where you get into the really value, the fullness, the real life. It's not at the question. It's not at the point where we hear yes. It's on the other side of it. And, and I just had the sense that if my, if my, if my kids leave, because that's the other thing about youth ministry, I mean, eventually they leave. I mean, there's good and bad there. You know, oh, they leave. And they're, oh, they leave. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, you get to that point, but, but you, I, I just had this sense that when they, I want, them to, I want them to know that the answer is yes, because there's so much stuff down the road that, they'll, that they're just going to miss out on. If they don't understand that the answer to the question is yes, that life, the full life is actually beyond that question.
Life is about more than that question. But here, here's where I want to meddle with you just a little bit. Life is often for us exactly that question. Life is often exactly that question. Life is, is often for us an ongoing exercise of asking everyone we can think of that question in so many different ways. Am I valuable? Does my life matter? Do I have significance? It's an ongoing exercise for us. And again, sometimes there's seasons of life, there's situations that stir that up within us. But, but for many of us, that's a question we ask ourselves way too often. Am I valuable? Do I have significance? Do I have, do I have meaning? And, and we ask it of, of everyone we can think of. We ask it in our, in our families. We ask it in our workplace. We, we, we ask it in a variety of ways. We, we, we develop in our heads this, this sense of what value is and what it means to, to live a meaningful life. And, and we take some of those false understandings and we compare them with our friends' lives. We, we look at our bank statement. We, we, we look at the car that we drive or the house that we live in or, or, or something else in our life. And we ask the question, am I valuable? Have I made it? Do I have significance in my life? Did, did I get enough likes on that Facebook post? Which, by the way, was in itself a way to ask the question of the world. Does my life have any value? Do I have any meaning? Do I have any purpose? Life is often exactly that question. Do I have any value? Do I have any purpose? And, and, and yet here is Psalm 139. Sharing God's resounding yes. Yes. Yes, you have value. We search in all sorts of different ways. We find ourselves asking again and again, do I have value? Do I have value? Do I have value? Do I have value? We, we get a job as a youth pastor. Someone gives us a shot. We're doing it because we said, we, we just had this sense that God called us to do this work. And yet the only question we can think in our heads is, are the kids going to think I'm cool? See what I did there? We came all the way around. Big circle there. That's where many of us live. At that place where we ask the question over and over again, this does my life have, have, have any value? But life is about the other side of that question. Life is beyond that question. Life is, life, the full life is lived only when we understand and appreciate and we live in God's yes, God's affirmation that says, yes, you belong to me. I created you and I shaped you. I, I knew you before anyone else knew you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex is how the New Living Version says it. That, that, that God, you can't, you can't escape from his presence. He is there with you because he, he loves you. It is God's resounding yes. Yes, you have value because you belong to me. So I told you a few weeks ago I wasn't here and I went and visited some other churches. And let me just tell you what that's like for, for a pastor. I was talking to a coach last night who heard me say this and he goes, it's just like scouting as a coach. That's what pastors do when they go look at other churches. They, they look at how they do hospitality. They look at all sorts of things in the, in the service, how they start the service, what the music is like. But the one thing that we cannot help but critique and just try to find something to learn from is when we listen to another pastor's sermon. Because that's just what we care about. I mean, that's the thing that we're most deeply invested in. And so, and so when you go, when you're a pastor and you go hear another pastor preach, I mean, you want to learn from that. You want to you see something there. And oftentimes we can be a little bit more critical of that. But, but I went and I heard a great message. And I was actually texting with Mike while I'm in church. So if you're doing that today, it's okay. No big deal. I was te te texting the other pastor in church. And he asked me, how is it? You know, he knew which church I was going to. And this is what I said about, about, the, about the pastor when the sermon was over. I said, 
you would have to fall asleep to miss the point. I mean, he was so good, so direct, so personal, so real, so sincere. That, that's what I came away with at the end of it. It's like, you would have to fall asleep to miss the point. This guy's so good, so direct, so sincere, really, really hits at home. So just in case, just in case you fell asleep and you've just woken back up, here's the point today, okay? <laughs> here's the point. Here's what I, what I want to say more, more than anything else, and, and here's what I want you to hear out of, out of deep grace and compassion. If you are living that question every single day, if, if your life is caught up in, in that recurring exercise of asking the question, am I valuable? Here's what I want you to hear in love and grace and deep compassion. You need to stop it. You need to stop it. And here's why. You, 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 don't under, you, don't, you can't fully appreciate this, but you are hurting yourself more than you know. The damage that is being caused in the inner workings of your soul is more deep and real than you can imagine. It's hurting you. It is choking off the good work that God is trying to do in your life. Because that question works so, so much against the words of grace and love that God is seeking to sow inside of you. It is hurting you more than you know. It is like, oh, going back to John 10, it is that thief that comes into your life every single day and is raiding your pantry. And you need to lock the door and make sure that thief doesn't keep, keep stealing from you the life that God wants you to have. You have to stop it because that question is killing you. It's planting seeds that lead, to, that lead to destructive behaviors in your life. You find yourself searching after things and chasing after things that you shouldn't be searching for and you shouldn't be chasing after because that question is working against what God is seeking to do in your life. The best gift you could give to yourself is just say, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it. Because this is hurting me and damaging me and keeping me from the full life that is on the other side of hearing God say yes. With love and grace and compassion, I would just say you have to stop it. Because if you don't, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss that gift. You're going to miss that life that God is dreaming that you will one day have because you're still stuck in this endless exercise of asking the question, does my life have any value? That would be my hope for you. That would be my prayer for you, that you would have the strength to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not going to let the thief in every single day to take away my life. This scripture was such a big part of my life during that season of my life that three years into it, when we welcomed our first child into our life, in her nursery, above her bed, one of our youth moms, in fact, it was, uh, uh, it was Ben Mason's mother. Ben plays bass in our band now at the well. But his mother painted above her bed, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It was her idea because she knew it was a scripture that I, that I just shared with the kids over and over and over again. It was a theme, and so there it was above my daughter's bed when we brought her home. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex from Psalm 139. 
a few years into her life, we moved here to Mansfield. And then a few years after that, we were, uh, I was transitioning into a new season of my life. I, I was going to start preaching our Saturday night service. I was moving away from youth ministry. And in a year, I'd be out of youth ministry altogether. My daughter was three years old, and I remember getting her ready one day for preschool. She came here to, to the church with me for preschool, which meant that daddy's job was to fix her hair. Never very good at that job. It was always a disaster, and so that day was no different. So she's sitting there in the bathroom, on, 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 the, on the bathroom counter, and she's looking in the mirror while Daddy is trying to, to do a ponytail. I have no idea why a ponytail is so hard for dads, but that's just like, that's impossible. I just couldn't do it. She's sitting there. She's three years old, and she looks in the mirror, and she says, Daddy, am I pretty? Daddy, am I pretty? And I felt two things immediately when she asked me the question. The first thing that I felt was I felt deep sadness. Because it was just one of those moments when, when, you're, when your child's growing up. Every parent's had this experience where you just you realize that you're not going to live in fantasy fairyland in any, you know, forever. And your kid is going to ask the questions that you asked and wrestle with the things that you wrestled with. And, and your kid's going to have to deal with the world like everybody else has to deal with the world. And it was just, it was just that, that coming, crashing down feeling of, yeah, she's going to ask that question. And that was just sad. It was just sad for me, just, just knowing that, there was gonna, that, that the day was coming, it was actually already here, where I couldn't protect her from, from asking that question. Daddy, Daddy, am I pretty? That's the first thing I felt. I felt sad. But the second thing I felt was this. I felt, I felt this deep conviction that from her father, she was always going to hear from me, yes, you're beautiful. You are beautiful, you are treasured, you are loved, you are mine. Here's my promise to you. For as long as this is your church, for as long as I have the honor to be one of your pastors, you are always going to hear from us Yes, you matter. Yes, you are loved. Yes, you belong to God. Because that's what the scriptures speak to us. In the midst of that experience of asking that question, am I valuable to have any significance? We hear again these words. You belong to God. The answer today is yes. Let's pray. Gracious God, we confess to you today our struggle. We confess to you today, Lord, that in that struggle we often find ourselves in places that we shouldn't be thinking things that we shouldn't think, living in ways that we shouldn't live. Every day, Lord, we know we're surrounded by messages that tell us that we can't measure up, that we're not enough. But we pray, Lord, that today your truth would break through all of that. That it would break through all the junk that we have experienced in our life, relationships that haven't gone the way that we wanted them to, experiences that, that caused us pain and suffering and raise that question again and again. 
that you by your grace would break through all of that, Lord. And would speak to us today a word of hope, a word of love, a word of acceptance, a word of affirmation to that question. And that in hearing that, Lord, you would then begin to show us what life is really all about, the other side of it where we get to engage not only, Lord, an amazing relationship with you, but a way for our life to, to matter in the way we share that love and grace with the world. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.